Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome back. You are watching Luck on Sunday. I'm delighted to welcome to Luck on Sunday studio for the first time. A man I've been trying to get on the programme for quite some time. But now I've been given the perfect excuse to snare him because at the age of just 31, having been one of the senior columnists and a racing journalist of the year on the Racing Post, he has been appointed the editor of the Racing Post, succeeding the 11-year tenure of Bruce Millington. He is, of course, Tom Kerr. Tom, good morning and thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Nick. You finally got me. I finally got you, but as I said, I, I found an extremely good excuse to get you because you've been appointed editor of the Racing Post. You're old enough and wise enough now for that to have sunk in and, and sunk in well. Mm. But it is a big undertaking, a big, big job. How do you, how do you feel in those shoes now a couple of weeks in? Sure. Um, it's obviously a lot to get to grips with. You know, I, I was largely a writer before. I did edit. I, I ran a desk on a daily basis. I did manage people. But obviously I've gone from a situation where my big concern on a week-to-week basis was what am I going to write in my column? What, who uh, or what am I going to address this week? And now, you know, my responsibilities are so much broader, so much wider, not just encompassing the editorial of the newspaper, but also thinking about you know, where we go as a business, where we go as a sport, what the future is going to hold, looking after, we've got a, a fantastic team of journalists and it's my responsibility now to, to look after them, to get the best out of them, to help them uh, thrive and prosper. So there's a whole host of extra considerations mm. to take on and, you know, I, I, you do sort of feel that you're, you're, you're dividing your time pretty thinly between a lot of them, but I think that's natural in the early days. Because you, you're a writer through and through. That's what you mm. wanted to do. That's what you're good at. Now you're a, a businessman, as you say. You're a man manager. You have to look after people's welfare. What's the most daunting part of the, of the job, do you think? Which bit of it just slightly frightens you in a good way? I think, if anything. well, maybe, maybe, you know, we always laugh in journalism that you don't want to, you don't want to put numbers in front of a journalist because, you know, we deal with words. So, you know, suddenly having to look at budgets and stuff is, you know, that's, that's a, a bit of a jump from my previous consideration where I was thinking about how, to, how can I craft this sentence in the most sort of pleasing way in the ear and to really, you know, hammer home a point. Um, and now I need to look at spreadsheets and budgets. Um, so, you know, I'm using the calculator app a lot. But you're at the right stage of your career to soak all that up like a sponge. It's going to be a lot more difficult if you're 51 than, than 31. So that's to your advantage, I guess. Well, you know, perhaps so. I mean, some people will look at it the other way and they'll say, you know, when you're 51, you've, you've got a lot more experience under your belt. You've, you've tackled different things in your life. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm under no illusions that um, I've got a lot to learn. I've got a lot of things to pick up, which I haven't had exposure to before. But, uh, you know, I'm hugely enthusiastic about the challenge. I'm really enjoying grappling with all these new issues and, you know, getting my head around them. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully the sort of... I don't, I've never really been accused of having, you know, exact, exactly the most uh, sort of youthful uh, excess of, of, of energy, but hopefully I can bring some of that to the job and, and ensure that, you know, we're kicking on in all departments. Were you surprised to get the job? Yeah, I was a little bit surprised, you know. Um, I sort of, I thought it was, a, you know, a bit of a wild card. I'll apply, you know, I'd really love to do the job. I've got loads of ideas. I did think, though, that, you know, what I potentially brought to it um, was, you know, I'm a, a different generation. Mm. Uh, I'm, I come from 
a, a journalism background that straddles print and digital. And, you know, although people might know me for the column, in the background, I've also done a lot of work with our mobile app, our social media platforms. You know, when I joined, uh, the Racing Post had, uh, we, we had a Twitter account, and I think we had about 2,000 followers. And now we've got 220,000, you know, we've got half a million followers across all social media platforms. So, you know, th- these sides of the business have grown massively, and I've been involved in them uh, from day one. And, and I guess, you know, that perspective perhaps um, stood me in good stead. Um, when they were choosing who was going to head up the Racing Post. Career-wise, what came first for you, writing or racing? Uh, writing came first. Uh, I wanted to be a journalist. and For as long as you can remember? From Well, you know, I was, when I was a, a little kid, um, my, my sister and I put out a, a, a local newspaper when I was about eight or something. It only lasted one edition, so it wasn't the most successful foray into... Uh, journalism. It really gave me a clear sight of the, you know, the economic difficulties of the the print business. But uh, where, where was where was home? It's Glasgow. Mm-hmm. It's Glasgow. So um, yeah, it, it's always been an interest. And I was at university and was active in journalism there, student newspaper. At the same time, was going racing all the time. I was at Edinburgh, so went to Musselburgh every single meeting, piled down there with a bunch of uh, of mates and. And would have fantastic days. But I never really put two and two together, even though I'm sitting there reading the Racing Post. Um, and it was only when I, when I came to graduate, I was lucky enough to get on the BHA, the mm. Graduate Scheme, um, which has helped loads of people get started in the racing industry. And I saw an advert for that, and, I, and it was like a light bulb moment. And I thought, this is fantastic. You know, I can combine my two interests. They had placements at the PA, the Press Association, and the Racing Post. Um, I was lucky enough to get on the programme and to get a placement at the PA. And, um, you know, that was basically the start, and I haven't looked back. And when you, when you went to the PA and started reporting on racing, being sent out on, on, on assignments, what was it about the sport that you, you liked the most? What appealed to you the most? Mm-hmm. What surprised you? Well, I mean, what always appealed to me about the sport was, was the sort of the excitement of it, the drama of it, the characters. Um, you know, when you're an outsider, and I wasn't brought up, in racing, I was sort of introduced to racing through the Grand National and things like that, um, you know. And it, it, it's this sort of slightly other world, worldly sport, you know. It's the sport of kings. It's 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 got this amazing history. And then when I got into the sport, I was staggered that you know within days I could be calling up someone like Paul Nichols, getting him on the phone and, and having a having a chat about uh, you know Quarto Star or something. It, it was a completely remarkable moment. And, and those sort of slightly surreal moments only continued. I remember I went to my first, reported on my first derby. I think it was Camelot. Um, and I was sort of trying to get from the press room to the winner's enclosure and ran into a little commotion. And I'm sort of thinking, like, oh, come on, get out of the way. I need, to, I need to go and get the clothes. And I sort of peeked over and I saw, oh, oh geez, that's, that's the Queen. The Queen was a few metres away, just, just making her way over to the winner's enclosure as well. And, you know, I think for someone who's not been exposed to that world, that was completely surreal, you know, how close you can get to the people involved in this sport and how, how remarkably open it is, especially when you compare it to other sports. That's very interesting, that, because the kind of received wisdom is that the access isn't good enough and it needs mm. to be better. And I, I, like you, believe our access is 
she pretty strong. I mean, the amount yeah. of people who sat in the chair that you're sitting in and very willingly would come and do it, it it's, it's quite... A, I, I never cease to be amazed by it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about football, you know, you wanted to get an interview. I mean, Charlie Austin was supposed to come on this show today and Charlie Austin's great. I've interviewed him. Mm. But if you wanted to speak to Charlie, um, or, or certainly most Premier League footballers, you're generally going to have to go through a club's press office. You know, you're going to have to speak to a press officer, um, work out a, a time which suits them and... They're probably going to want to know what you're going to talk about, and they might well want to tie it in with some initiative of their own. They might have like their, you know, their vaping partner that they want to <laughs> plug or something. You've got to, you've got to sort of work out a, a, a strategy to do it, and it's not easy. Whereas we can pick up the phone and, and get someone like Nikki Henderson on the end of the line really easily. They're so open, um, and it's a huge advantage that racing has. That it, it's it's. Its protagonists are so willing to talk to the media and talk to to the general public as well. I think. I mean, so many people have stories about you know bumping into people at a race course, bumping into AP, or bumping into Leicester, and having a chat, and 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 I think that really makes a huge difference. So you you've got the access to all these wonderful participants. You've got this platform, the the Racing Post. What do you see as your as your main responsibility over the next few years? Where do you want to take mm. the paper? Well, I mean, we should probably look at it as a, as, as a, as a company now because it's not just a newspaper. It's also all the digital platforms, you know, and we want to be putting our information, our coverage, wherever people find it most convenient mm. to get it. Um, however, you know, my principal responsibility is, is, is essentially the same as it always has been for Racing Post editors, which is to provide, to provide the, the best information, uh, the most accurate information, the most insightful information to our customers, whether they be punters, industry professionals or racing fans, in order that people can get the most out of this sport, that they can enjoy it, they can understand it, they can profit from it. I, I asked Bruce uh, Millington, your predecessor, pretty much the same question when he was he was sitting in that seat. Who are you trying to appeal to? And he said, well, all of the above, essentially. Mm. And I, I said, do you worry about pleasing all those people all of the time? What would be your response to that? I think you can't worry about pleasing all, all the people all the time because you're going to fail. You know, it's impossible. You know, you only need to go on Twitter to see the different ideas people would have. And you'll get the same thing when mm. you're interviewing someone. Someone will say, you have to ask them about this. And you think, well, if I hammer home that point, they're not going to talk to me much anymore. So we need to be uh, aware of the fact that, you know, if we can't go around accusing people of being corrupt because the, the racing professionals are going to naturally take umbrage at that. At the same time, we can call all bookmakers scumbags because... Uh, Bookmakers are naturally going to take umbrage at that. So people who have, um, you know, very strong positions are, are going to be disappointed by us. What we need to do as a newspaper is be fair, be rigorous, yeah. uh, to question, to stimulate debate, you know, to be professional about what we do, to try to give people a fair hearing, um, to and ultimately to, to think about what's best for for the sport. And sometimes that's going to be. Um, being a cheerleader, and sometimes it's going to be being a critical friend. 
to what extent do you want to put your own stamp, your own imprimatur on the paper? Could I pick up this paper next week and think, ah, the editor's changed. There's a definite style here. The, the Millington era has subtly been shifted to one side. This is the Kerr era. And what would define the Kerr era, do you think? Well, first of all, like, you know, the Racing Post is not a soapbox or platform for the views of Tom Kerr. We've got a brilliant team of journalists and... I have no intention whatsoever of going to them and saying, this is what I think on this issue you need to do, you need to follow my view. You know, I want to empower our journalists to produce really brilliant racing coverage. I think we already do that. I think Bruce did a really magnificent job as editor and I was very privileged to work under him throughout my time at the Racing Post. So what did he give to you that you can give to other people? As a, as a, young, as a young writer, when you started mm. there, what encouragement did you get that you can pass on to the, the next group of writers? He was a great, uh, great one. He encouraged you, you know, and he challenged you. I think that's important as well. Um, you know, when he, he would... I mean, I, I remember a few times writing a column... And he would call me into his office and sort of um, say, why have you written this? You know, what's, what, what are you doing? And, and he's basically just challenging you to defend your work, you know. And, you know, that's about making sure people have the courage of their convictions and understand what they're talking about. So, you know, I would see one of my absolute number one responsibilities as, as supporting and challenging and uh, helping our staff, young and old, to reach the height of their potential. You mentioned young and old. Uh, clearly, the Racing Post is in a transitional period where a lot of the older or more experienced members of the permanent staff have, have gone or have, have taken voluntary redundancy. And now you have a, a broadly speaking, I think it's fair to say, a broadly speaking younger team mm. with you. And, and you're, you're at the helm of that. Do you feel like you need to uh, have a, a sort of broader breadth of experience, if you like, within the paper. Do you, do, do you feel you need one or two of those older hands in there as well as all the all the young talent? Oh, yeah, I think it's I think it's vital to have experience as well as youth and, and energy. Um, and we do. We've, we've got a you know I've got 120 people in my editorial department. Um, I don't know what the average age is, but they, they span you know from everything from 18 up to up to you know, retirement age, and, and we have a huge wealth of experience there. We have a huge wealth of talent there. Um, so I'm, I'm not worried about whether we've got enough experience, um, but, but it's hugely exciting having new people coming into the business mm. as well, and I think we recognise that across racing. You know, you need new blood, whether it's in, you know, as sporting professionals, as fans... And certainly it's true in the media. And I'm so pleased that we've got a bunch of young journalists who are hugely talented and hugely enthusiastic and that they've decided that what they want to do is racing journalism. And I think we should be very pleased about that. Now, the, the paper as it stands, the actual hard copy of the newspaper, mm. and again, I, I asked Bruce this question. I said, look, do you really think this will be around in a decade's time? And he was very positive that it would be. Now, given what you've already mentioned about your mm. importance of... Uh, the, your, you, the importance you have to place on, on the digital platforms and how people consume their media. Can you be as confident, given your relatively new ownership? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm very confident. When I, when I started uh, the Racing Post nine years ago, there were a few people in the business then, the sort of digital visionaries, mm. who, who probably thought the paper wasn't going to exist in five years' time. I always thought, I don't, I don't think the paper's going anywhere. Um, you know, we know print is declining. We know for a fact that... Uh, more and more people are getting, choosing to get their news 
uh, on digital platforms, and I think that's natural. But at the same time, we also see a lot of people who prefer print products. You know, and, and I, despite being a digital journalist in many ways, I love a printed newspaper as well. I love the, the feeling of sitting down with, with a coffee uh, or, or a pint of Guinness with the Racing Post and, and going through the day's news and cards. It's, it's a much more um, sort of relaxing experience, perhaps, than going on a laptop or, or a smartphone. I think we live in such a fast-paced world that sometimes sitting down with a curated, well-produced, aesthetically pleasing print product is actually really nice. And do you feel you've got the scope and the space to be able to do that? Have you got the freedom from your bosses to produce this nice, relaxed, sometimes long-form read? Yeah. Or uh, are you going to get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed? Listen, there's challenges. Of course there is, because we've got to keep it profitable. It's got to be a business. If you think about the logistics of newspaper publishing, it's... It, it, you know, I'm, I'm probably going off into one of my sort of like pet projects uh, interests here, but it's it's basically sort of a form of light industry. You know, you think about the the sheer number of people involved in publishing a newspaper, from uh, the journalists through the printing presses, the distributors, the news agents. It's there's 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 probably about 15 steps mm. between someone typing the words into a word processor and it arriving on someone's coffee table. Um, so what you're saying is that's actually the ripest medium for a digital revolution that there is, sort of. Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it may, I don't think if you were starting the news business today, anyone would think that that's the way to do it. But that doesn't mean it's it's going anywhere anytime soon. I think print actually has a pretty pretty uh, healthy future, and you're seeing in some uh, some you know parts of the of, of the print world. A, a quite surprising resilience because people prefer getting their news in that format. Now, I'm guessing that the two things people have challenged you on most in the last fortnight, three weeks, are one, the whip, mm. because you've written a few columns on the whip down sure. the years, and, and because of the, the paper's own position and questioning of the whip and its future. And second, uh, the uh, newspaper's relationship with bookmakers. Mm. Um, it seems as though you're quite comfortable to talk about the the relationship between the Racing Post and bookmakers and, its, and, its, and their mutual dependency, or at least your dependency on them. I mean, much like yeah. a lot of the TV stations are now dependent on Yeah, I think we all exist in an ecosystem, and racing is dependent on bookmakers as well, and we are dependent on racing. So you take one bit out of that ecosystem, and, yeah, it probably doesn't work anymore. And, you know, I, I accept that. I don't think that prevents me or my newspaper or my journalists challenging bookmakers. Um, you know, I wrote a piece about uh, properties earlier last year, which um, was headlined, and this is my headline, it was poisoning the well, how properties turned gambling toxic. You know, and, and I, I believe that. I think the, the bookmakers made some massive mistakes over how they handled properties. And I think we, there's also issues uh, around how they... how people deal with account restrictions and account closures and you know I, I've written about uh, minimum bet to win guarantees before and I wrote years ago when uh, Australia introduced uh, legislation I think in that vein that it would be a good idea for something like that to happen here you know I throughout my career I think I've questioned bookmakers I will continue to question bookmakers um, because that's the job of a journalist and, and in fact I haven't had anyone on the phone to me from William Hill or, or Paddy Power saying, don't you dare write that. If they have an issue with our coverage, they think our coverage is 
is unfair, then they have a case. But if we write fair, challenging editorial, then I'm always going to defend our right to do that. And I think, ultimately, bookmakers respect that because they need someone who is going to be, be that critical friend mm. who's going to question them when they're making mistakes, as, as, as we all do. As a columnist, of course, your position is there and you have to entrench that position a bit harder because that is columnism in a nutshell. Yeah. You want people to react against it, respond to it in some way. As an editor, are you going to have to just take yourself out of the trench a little bit and be a little bit more of a, yeah. a diplomat? Well, I mean, as a columnist, you've got one view, don't you? Whereas, you know, as a newspaper editor, you've got to allow space for it to be multiple views. And, you know, if we have two members of staff with very divergent views, I don't want the one who thinks they've got the same view as me mm. to feel empowered to write and the other one nervous to write. I want to ensure that people who write for my newspaper feel that they can voice their opinions, even if they're not the same as the, the editors. So, yes, absolutely, I'm not going to be saying this is the Racing Post editorial line and we must follow it. Uh, and on that note, the whip you've been asked about countless times, no doubt, mm. because it was one of your articles... Well, it was actually the headline to one of your articles, I think, that mm. uh, created the most debate about whether it was right or wrong for the Racing Post to be advocating the, uh, the absence of the whip in, in races. Where do you stand personally on that now? And are you going to impose your personal stance on the paper? The second, second point, no, I'm not. Um, but my personal view remains where it was when I wrote that article last year. I think it's extremely likely that racing will at some point, probably in the next decade, perhaps a bit longer, um, ha restrict the use of the whip for encouragement. And I think that's going to happen because we can see how public opinion on welfare moves in only one direction. You know, uh, in 2011, the BHA did a big review of whip rules. And when they did that, 57% um, of respondents in a poll they did said they thought the whip should be banned. So that's, that's coming on two-thirds of people. Um, that's seven years ago, eight years ago now. Um, and we've seen how attitudes have changed in the intervening period. We've seen the rise of veganism. We've seen how generally the public moves ever towards stronger views on animal welfare. And, you know, I think it's important for us as a sport, you know, not to, not to bow down to that, not to surrender to that, but to bear it in mind. Um, we've seen politicians at Westminster, both major parties, calling for a reduction in the use of the whip, or the Labour Party effectively saying they'd like to see it removed. Mm. You know, I'd be, I'd be very cautious about allowing racing to end up in a situation where politicians start making decisions mm. because we've not acted. So I think it's very important for racing to be alive to the possibility that this is going to happen, whether the sport likes it or not, and then reflect on whether it's not better for racing to be taking its own destiny into its own hands. But the Racing Post is not going to campaign under Tom Kerr's leadership for the ab abolition of the whip. No, 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 no. no. We're, we're there to, to facilitate a debate, to stimulate a debate, um, and there's going to be different views on this. I, I know it's a topic which... It's very strong views. Um, 
uh, and I'm sure, you know, my comments today will, will, again, some people will be absolutely up in arms. Um, will they make the front page of tomorrow's race? <laughs> well, it, it, it probably depends, it probably depends what, who says it. Who's in the office. <laughs>